We've all heard a story about how Walt Disney decided to make the world's first animated feature film and gave the world Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Uncle Walt had a powerful PR machinery and to this day many people still believe Snow White was first. There's only one problem with that. It isn't true. There had in fact been earlier animated feature films and the oldest surviving one of these, possibly even the earliest ever made, premiered ten years before Snow White. It was called The Adventures of Prince Ahmed and was made by the German animator and director Lotte Reiniger, a female movie maker in a world dominated by men. You might also have heard about Disney's invention, the multiplaying camera, a technique that creates the illusion of depth in animation and heavily used in Disney films. But did you know that that same Lotte Reiniger invented the predecessor of that camera ten years before Uncle Walt and his guys took all the credit? Well, probably not. Because even if Lotte Reiniger was both a filmmaker and an inventor, she was also a woman. And the film and animation business have always been a boys' club. Until now, we have started to evolve and finally there seems to be some hope. More and more women are making the mark in the animation and VFX industry. But we still have a long way to go, because the business is still dominated by men. So how can we change that? Welcome to Jellybrick Road and a celebration of female creative power. Hi everybody, I'm Nils Lagren and this is Yellowbrick Road, a podcast about visual effects, animation and digital mastery. Today we're going to focus on female trailblazers in animation and cinema history and discuss how it is to work in this male-dominated business. Welcome Christina Sidori, lead animator and supervisor, and Matilda Olsson, VFX producer. Welcome. Hello, thank you for having us. First things first, uh, this is a male-dominated industry, isn't it? Yep. Yep. (laughs) Can say that. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it so? You think the general statistic that I've seen uh, is that it's about one in eight or one in ten um, artists that are female, um, and uh, one that I've heard is is that there's seventy five percent of uh, blockbuster crews are male. Mm. Uh, so, pretty much what what you see and and what we know is is that it is that way. So yes, why is it that way? Um, there are many factors. Uh, I won't go fully into any of them, but just to name a few. Uh, marketing, recruiting, uh, inclusive storytelling, representation, society, environment, the VFX lifestyle in general. Um, and, uh, of course, how attractive it is and how welcome uh, women feel. Mm. Matilda, You heard about something called the Star Wars factor. What's that? Oh, yeah. I read an article uh, about that um, and a theory about why the VFX industry lacks uh, women. And in short, it's about what kind of movies you watched uh, growing up and what inspired you. And uh, just looking at like a general a general age of the VFX industry. industry. And uh, the article stated that So Star Wars was clearly more popular with boys at Mm. that time. And that's the people that grew up and is in the age of 
creating VFX at this point. Um, so they grew up wanting to do their own Star Wars, basically. And the leading force was characters like Luke and Han and uh, created by George Lucas and things like that. And women were more into different kinds of movies that maybe wasn't as inspiring. And uh, it stated also that uh, this might change now when we have uh, leading roles such as like um, Rey and Jin in Star Wars. Mm. And for like, there's a producer called Victoria Alonso that's been making a lot of the Marvel films as well. And we have Captain Marvel and Black Widow in leading roles coming up as well. Mm. Uh, so maybe this will change for the girls that are young now and grows up during this kind of era. Hopefully it will change. Uh, um, we will talk more about this and also about your experience as women in this business and also how you ended up here. But, but, but let's start with a brief look at some of the pioneers from yesterday, like Lotte Reiniger that I mentioned in the intro. Uh, she, she did the adventures of Prince Ahmed, as I mentioned, and, and then in the 30s she fled from Nazi Germany, but continued to do animated films in a very specific uh, cut-out silhouette style uh, for many years. Uh, and today she, her legacy is recognized. Uh, she's recognized as a true pioneer of animation, and one of the prizes at the European Animation Awards is named after her. And uh, if you've seen the Jim Carrey version of uh, Series of Unfortunate Events, that of op course. the opening titles <laughs> are very much inspired by Lotte Reiniger. Absolutely. And so is this beautiful Free Brothers segment in uh, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Oh, yeah. so, oh okay, I love that. Yeah, so, so it's a special style she has. I really like it. There were once three brothers who were traveling along a lonely winding road at twilight. Do we have any other trailblazers from the past? Uh, I find it really um, actually interesting. I didn't know about the the artist that you were speaking about. Mm. And um, I definitely want to go look up her films now and find out. That's why it's so important to, to share these stories is because I, sh I should know about her. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> so... We should be learning about her and we should be studying her and, and it hasn't happened. Mm. So I'll go correct that on my own. I hope you all go watch yeah. it. Because um, I felt that way as well. Like doing research for this podcast, I read about all these women who's done these amazing things. And I was like, I know none of these women. Mm. It's insane. Why haven't I heard anything about them before or earlier? Mm. It's just... There was a common prejudice back in the days in the animation business was that women can only draw birds and bees and flowers and a man has a better feel for action, personality and caricature. Wow. Bizarre, what? of course, but, but, but that's what the men in power at the, day, at the time thought. And that this was something that the female animators had to fight against every day. Because you, Christina, found an article about the, the Disney female artists that were colorists, the, the inkers and painters. Yes, and so there were a lot of women inking and painting at Disney, and um, they were working very hard. They were working long hours, mm. and they were kind of unsung. Um, so that that kind of scares me a bit for today because it then it is that it actually is nothing new that women were present as artists sure um 
except now they're being sung. They're being, there is a spotlight placed on women, which is, is progress. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, in those days, they also had the problem that, that they were rarely credited for their work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and whenever you talk about classic animation, the name Disney always comes up. And, and it was a boys club, but, but there were pioneering women in there. And some of them have got recognition much too late, but at least some recognition. I would like to just mention a few. We have Bianca Majolica. She was the first uh, woman in the Disney story department and a concept artist and heavily involved in Pinocchio and Peter Pan and Cinderella. Uh, And we also have Sylvia Moberly-Holland also working that same thing, uh, particularly for Fantasia. And we have Retta Scott. She was the first woman to animate for Disney. Bambi, the the dogs in Bambi, and Fantasia, and Dumbo, great stuff. And then there's a certain Mary Blair, uh, who apparently was famous, and once again, I didn't know her either. (laughs) But she's a a legendary concept artist at Disney, uh, and had a huge impact on the look and feel of the Three Caballeros, Cinderella, Alice in Wonderland, and particularly Peter Pan. And, uh, I mean, the list goes on, even on today, where Jennifer Lee who directed Frozen. Oh, yeah. She yeah. was the first <laughs> woman <job>. to direct <laughs> a Disney feature film. Yeah, and that's that late. Insane. Yeah. That is insane. Yeah. But, and it's but, also one of the best ones, so just it saying. Is. <laughs> With female heroes. <laughs> yeah. um, I was just wondering, has another young woman, the queen perhaps, I don't know, passed through here? Uh, but, but then, of course, animation in those days was not just Disney. Uh, so let's not forget about Lillian Friedman. She was the first female studio animator who had a screen credit in the early 30s for a Popeye cartoon for Fleischer Studios. Uh, unfortunately, uh, things didn't end up that well for her because in 37 they went on strike at Fleischer Studios and she was afraid of losing her job as a, as a single woman. So she continued to work and for that her, um, her colleagues never forgave her. So mm-hmm. in 39 she had... She was more or less forced to quit and never returned to animation. But there are also happier stories like Laverne Harding. Remember that name. She was the second female studio animator in history and she worked at Lantz Productions and animated Woody Woodpecker and Andy Pandy and Oswald the Lucky Rabbit and stuff. (laughs) And after that, she continued to animate Pink Panther and and was involved in several films that were Oscar nominated and and won Pink Panther uh, that won an Oscar. And in 1980, she won the Windsor McKay Lifetime Achievement Award. That's one of the highest honors an animator can achieve. That sounds great, doesn't it? But then remember this. Out of 161 Windsor McKay Awards, she is one of only nine women who have won that honor. Wow. That is sad, isn't it? And this is exactly why... uh, Credits are so important to me as a, a female artist because I've been in situations where I've, I've well, in one situation in particular where I was, um, I actually wound up directing a shoot because they didn't have anyone to do it. Mm. And I was so deeply involved in the project that they thought that I was the best person to do it. And I had my hands in all kinds of uh, programs and uh, was making sure that everything was working properly and uh, and even uh, animating myself and I said okay this is VFX supervision and they said no you're the producer 
Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what? Okay, I'm not a producer. I yeah, never agreed no. to be the producer, and I actually really don't know why you're calling it that. Uh, so, so I make a special effort to make sure that I am credited properly because it means something, not just to me, but it means something to women artists. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. True. I think it's good. You should be very hard on that stuff. <laughs> it's important. Then we have the little story about the women of of uh, ILM, Industrial Light and Magic. That, that's also a kind of nice little story because there was a producer called Rose Dugnan, I think her name is pronounced, and she worked with George Lucas on, on the first Star Wars. And she was also a feminist, famous for being that from the early 70s. So she made an issue of like hiring women uh, to ILM, which then were just guys. Yeah. Only guys. So uh, she hired like Peg Hunter, Laurie Nelson, Mary Walter, uh, and they worked on Return of the Jedi, and then they're still uh, famous names. General, count me in. But then you, you mentioned uh, that they wanted to <clears throat> call you a producer. Uh, there are some quite heavy female producers, aren't there? Aren't yes. And uh, since I'm a producer myself, it's I think it's uh, very important to look at what other producers there's out there in VFX. And there are some really heavy names there. Some have, of course, credited often. Um, but they've also done massive things. Like, I have three favorites. Mm. And it's uh, Kathleen Kennedy, of course. Obviously. She uh, was a secretary to Steven Spielberg from the beginning. And then became associate producer and producer uh, on movies like E.T., Jurassic Park, and Indiana Jones. Uh, and then she co-founded Amblin Entertainment with Spielberg and mm. her future husband, Frank Marshall. And then uh, she um, and they created their own film company as well, uh, called the Mo- Kennedy Marshall Company. And 2012, uh, she was named the co-chair of Lucasfilm. Uh, mm. with George Lucas, and then took over his role there. And when uh, Disney purchased uh, Lucasfilm, she became president of oh. Lucasfilm, which is pretty cool. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and she's also won tons of awards and yeah. and been very uh, involved in the So she's your role business. model. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> God creates dinosaurs. God destroys dinosaurs. God creates man. Man destroys God. Man creates dinosaurs. Dinosaurs eat man. Woman inherits the earth. And then we have Victoria Alonso, who's Mm. awesome as well. She's been a producer for almost all of the latest Marvel movies in phase one, two, three. Um, and she's doing all the new ones as well. She was honored in 2017 uh, with the, the Visual Effects Society Visionary Award. Mm. Uh, so that's pretty much a lifetime achievement kind yeah, of thing, yeah. uh, which is pretty cool. Um, and um, she's also been an important part of uh, like taking on the struggle of women in VFX kind of issues, so, which is also important. Uh, and then we have a name that I uh, 
like I found it pretty early on when I was a kid watching movies. Uh, I saw her name in like the the credits, and it's Gail Ann Hurd, mm. who's the producer of. She's been on uh, basically like all the Terminator movies and The Abyss and Aliens, and now she's doing all Walking your Dead. All my favorite <laughs> movies. <laughs> That's why I noticed her. No, but um, so she's done a lot of the typical like guy movies basically mm. which is pretty cool i think and now she's one of the the biggest like parts of walking Dead as well that's great and, and once again as, as you said christina uh, that matilda saw her name in the credits mm-hmm. the, the importance of yeah actually <laughs> actually getting your yeah. name in there i mean it's a uh, representation matters to Absolutely. see yeah and and I don't think that that is a concept that everybody agrees on either. So it's uh, just to kind of explain it because you you can't talk about um, just the lack of women without talking about the the lack of people in color as well. Mm. And it's the same thing when you see yourself uh, out there uh, representing what the real world population is. If you think okay. 50% of humans on this earth are female, mm. but then you see a movie and there's three out of, you know, 100. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why would someone imagine a world where we don't exist? And then when you see that all the time, you just keep seeing this world where you're not present, you start to believe maybe that that's not how it is or that mm. that's not how it should be. And so we're all from birth... Uh, We've all seen the same media. We've all experienced the same thing. So whether you like it or not, it's kind of ingrained in you to think that this is the way things are. So it doesn't mean that the person, that people out there are malicious. It just means that our normal that we see is not accurate at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. I thought about this a lot when I was a kid, especially in movies where... Uh, I was so annoyed that every female role in like a leading role, uh, their problem was always like of a love interest problem mm. or they were like some sort of side person just like on the sidelines and just creating pl- problems. And it was just I was super annoyed all the time. And uh, Or a villain. <laughs> or a villain. <laughs> not not that often though either, but uh, but the, the only two I can think of that was actually that was none of these cases were Terminator and Alien. Mm. That was basically the only two. That there's a a woman who's a strong leading role and she doesn't have a love interest or she's that's not her issue or conflict in the movie and where she actually actually is pretty resourceful and can do something yeah. for herself. There was yeah. a, recently an article about um, Marissa Tomei in My Cousin Vinny mm-hmm. in the yeah. exact same way that the um, that the uh, the screenwriter that had to actively fight to keep her in the movie with lines that mattered to the movie, and there was there kept on being a push that she maybe worry about. Um, stereotypical things and um, and not be the expert on the stand at the end who actually uh, helps solve the case. Mm. Spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> These marks were made by a 1963 Pontiac Tempest. Objection, Your Honor. Can we clarify to the court whether the witness is stating opinion or fact? 
This is your opinion. It's a fact. Um, but but that screenwriter fought for fought for her, and then she won an Oscar. So I mean, yeah. if you inclusive storytelling, um, we can. I'll get into that a little bit later. Inclusive storytelling, but it's, it's very, very important. important. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So, uh, what other great women have you met during your years in, in the business, Christina? Actually, now I can talk about that uh, in detail because I did want to tell you about um, someone that I met a month ago, uh, Anna Janelius, and mm. she doesn't know that I'm talking about her here, but she she gave a wonderful lecture that Goodbye Kansas hosted on um, women in gaming, and one of the main uh, or the main theme that she talks about is inclusive storytelling. And why I admire her so much and what she's doing is that um, she explains um, the importance of representation of people of people of color and women, and she's making games that they normalize people being represented, and they they try to teach a bit of a lesson. Not so that you notice, so that it's wrapped up in the game and you have fun. Mm-hmm. So the mm-hmm. ultimate goal is to have a great game. But within that, she's doing a service to everyone because she's telling a story from perspectives of everyone. And if you think about all the stories that you could be hearing that you aren't hearing because you're getting one narrow perspective all the time. And when you started in the business, were there any women there in your career? Uh, Especially... Yes, I mean the the first company that I worked for, Freestyle Collective. Um, there there were more men than female artists, but I immediately had a wonderful um, CG supervisor named Patricia Hurd Green, and she had I believe she started in the business in 1990, and I met her in 2005. And she had worked in the commercial industry in New York City for 15 years at that point. So I, I had access to this great experience. Um, so she was my first mentor. She was strong. She was. Uh, she taught me to be productive. Uh, she was very well respected by the whole New York City community. Everybody knew her. Mm. Um, and she worked really hard. Um, now she teaches at... Um, well, actually, she started the uh, the master's program at New York University. Uh, CADA is what it's called. Uh, I believe she's still there. Look me right in the eye. See if you can anticipate my blows. <laughs> That's splendid. <laughs> yes, you learn fast. That's right. Now, let's go again. I'm obviously a, a white, middle-aged man. <laughs> uh, in other words, I, I'm... I live a privileged life. Uh, I know nothing of how it feels to be judged because of your gender. Uh, how was it for you when you started out in this business, Matilda? Um, <clears throat> well, I I knew pretty early on that I wanted to be in this business, which is kind of unusual for uh, a lot of people, basically, and in whatever line of work they do. But I was, I always wanted to be an illustrator when I was a kid. And then I was uh, fortunate enough to get to hang out a lot at my dad's office. He and my uncle had a gaming company at the time. They made computer games, uh, like uh, Sverige and these old classic, oh, like yeah. Swedish kids' games. 
Um, but that was the first exposure I got to this industry. And I was there a lot and I got to see all these amazing 3D artists working. A lot of them are actually here at Goodbye Kansas now. Mm. Um, but uh, And I was like, yeah, but this is what I want to do. This is pretty awesome. I should do this instead. Uh, and I never reflected on the uh, the fact that it was like 20 guys in their <laughs> like, uh, late 20s or something. But uh, And I was like, yeah, I'm going to be a 3D artist. That's, that's my dream job. Um, and then everything I did was for that goal, basically. So I studied a lot of art uh, in, like, in high school and things like that because that was basically all we got here. Uh, there wasn't that many educations that were um, more like computer-based in this type of graphic area. Mm. But I was always like the oddball with my friends. They had no idea what it was and what I wanted to be and why I wanted to be it because they didn't understand really. So it was weird being like the only girl who didn't want to be all these types of girly jobs or whatever. (laughs) Um, And I was a huge nerd. Um, and I tried not to talk about it too much, I think, when I was a kid, because it was just like, that I'm the weirdo. Mm. Um, but I got a lot of it from my parents, actually. They were amazing at uh, treating me and my brother equally. And my dad introduced a lot of movies and comic books and games to us both when we were kids. And it was nothing weird ever that we liked the same types of movies and we watched Terminator every day <laughs> after school or whatever um, <laughs> so it was like a lot of it uh, is because of them and I think it's important to to think about that with your kids like not treat them differently if it's Definitely. a boy or a girl yeah um, and then I was uh, I studied digital graphics at Nakedemin here in Stockholm after high school and uh, in my class, we had 36 guys and six girls, which was insane, basically. <laughs> and I think like two of them dropped out as well before we hmm. ended it. And um, I think I've always thought about like as a male-dominated industry, but I didn't see an issue with that. It was mostly sad because I didn't have any, like, any one of my girlfriends there. Mm-hmm. And they weren't interested at all. Um, and you get exposed to all kinds of discrimination yeah. throughout the the years. But I think it's... Um, I'm pretty lucky that I, I work in Sweden, actually, because mm. I've experienced more of it. I'm not saying it's not here at all. Uh, I'm just saying that I think it's less than if you're somewhere else. And I've been in a lot of different industries as well. So I've been working in finance and real estate as well. And that's a lot different from the VFX business. And I think in terms of discrimination and and what you hear and all this Me Too kinds of And plenty of alpha things. males. Oh, of like course. Like mansplaining. <laughs> a lot of them. I mean, for instance, there is something called mansplaining. Have you heard about this? We know what mansplaining, mansplaining. is. Mansplaining. That's a universal problem. Yeah. And I think that um, 
in I would say that of course it exists in the visual effects industry and um, but I think it's a lot worse in other industries at least from what I've seen uh, I could be wrong but I think that it's uh, the visual effects industry is a quite young business like and I think that's where we're lucky because yeah. I think a lot of the people working in this industry are younger and it grows every day. And I think people now are more aware of it than they were earlier. So I think if you go to like another industry, like finance, they're a bit <laughs> older <laughs> and a bit like it, it's, um, it's a lot harder to get in there that this is an important issue yeah. if it's never been an issue before. But, but has the situation improved? In your years in the industry, or I mean, it, it's not perfect, obviously. We're still f- too few women. There's still too many mansplaining guys who think that they're better because they're guys. Yeah, and I think that's also an uh, individual problem as well. Like mm-hmm. you, there's always going to be that guy who doesn't understand at all and doesn't understand the problem and the issue. And but I think that. We're getting a lot more aware of it. And uh, with all of the Me Too and Time's Up movement, it's gotten into the light in a different way than it was earlier. So Mm. I think that's uh, a really good thing. And I think it's progress. Christina, you worked in New York and now you work in Stockholm. Uh, How does that differ? How is it? Um. The laws are changing in our favor as an industry. When I first started in the industry um, and the way New York City was set up uh, and a lot of America, I think, is uh, there's a 40-hour work week, but you can have overtime. And uh, what your salary is for is the 40 hours. And Mm. then it's very vague after that in the law. So what we're seeing now, which is very recent in the past couple of years, is that um, the <laughs> I think the government figured out that they're missing out on the tax money that they could be taxing on those hours worked. And you're starting to see a lot of companies adopting um, uh, hourly wages. So it is improving in, in that the industry is improving because mm-hmm. uh, before the fiasco with Life of Pi um, – which I won't explain in detail. Most people know what happened there. So which story do you prefer? The one with the tiger. I I think that's the first time I saw a VFX soldier come out and um, there was a protest at that Oscars and it was to talk about the state of the industry um, for being fair for artists. Um, And for all people, that means uh, a work-life balance. But especially... um, If you believe you will be the primary caretaker, uh, you don't want to take a job that you'll never be home and never see your family. Mm. And in a lot of ways, it discludes parents, men and women, but it certainly discludes whoever decides to be the primary caretaker. So if you think, oh, I can't live my life the way that I want to live being in this, this industry, you won't do it. Uh, so now seeing that the whole industry is getting reformed, mm. um, It's going in a good direction. For me, uh, when I when I moved to Sweden, a lot of it had to do with the the fact that I knew that Sweden valued a, a 
work-life balance. So I'm actually pregnant now, and I don't have to risk my job. I'm mm. going to take my parental leave, and I'm going to come back in, and I actually won't work more or less after that than any other artist here because nobody is expected no. to neglect the rest of their life for the industry, <laughs> yeah. which is fantastic. And the more you see that in all countries, in all cities, the the more um, women I think you'll see fill those seats. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, hopefully. Because obviously it's a huge task to to change the culture that has defined our business for so long. And and you mentioned this about not not forcing people to work too much so that they need to have a life of their own like so that you can combine it with being a parent for example. Um, but but I I heard somewhere that that there are actually quite a lot of women in the uh, animation classes and schools, uh, contrary to what, what oh, you, yeah, what you told class, me. Though, but, <laughs> yeah, I think but, that's changed since I went to school. Yeah, but, yeah. but, but many women drop out of, of, uh, of the, the companies that they work at. There, there was an article um, about um, how many women were in Cal Arts, and I forgot the exact um, statistic, but it's a very high number of women. Um, I went to Parsons School of Design first, which was about 80% women. Um, and then I went to William Patterson University. Most of the people in my class were were women as well. At Animation Mentor, there were a lot of women, maybe not as many, though, um, as men in Animation Mentor. I have to check that statistic. But mm. so it's curious what is happening between school and work. And uh, I've done some research on on that, and um, uh, there are a couple of factors. Recruiting. There was a, an article recently about um, uh, what is it like to be at a recruiting session, and I believe it might have been heavy on gaming. Mm. Um, and so they just said they just showed what they observed. So they showed more women interested. Maybe if there was a woman speaker. So again, when you can see yourself represented. Yeah. Um, Women maybe didn't go to the talks that had uh, posters with scantily clad women on them necessarily, um, or booths. If a booth was, uh, if a booth had a woman there to talk to, that of course would bring women over to mm. to talk as well. So that in that case, it's about feeling welcome and feeling like you're part of the group. Um, the other thing that we could do um, is look into like uh, internships and training programs and I know there's a there's a good one happening in the UK uh, about uh, making sure to bring in um, I think it was eight artists and making sure that they're they're getting professional work that they're working on they're adding it to their reel they're building their resume because a lot of artists come in and they're uh, men and women and they need to bridge the gap between school, and work in general and mm. maybe you're extremely talented but you're not exactly like pushing out work in production so everybody has a learning curve so if we make sure that during that learning curve we're also including a large number of women in these training sessions or these internships uh, we can do something to change the numbers but if we just think of this as um, a woman problem that will solve themselves when they get interested which is not true they are interested yeah. <laughs> then we're not actively solving it. Uh, so everybody 
who cares about the issue, men and women, if we take time to find these solutions and bridge that gap, is it possible we can get there faster? Yeah. Obviously, it means killing it. But we have to stick together. Do you have any statistics on, or numbers? Like how, how many women percentage-wise work in this industry? Uh, I think it was it was really hard to find any statistics on, on that. Uh, I looked, but it was super hard. Mm. I found some like numbers from different. Like I read an article in the New York Times that suggested that female VFX supervisors made up only five percent of the top two hundred and fifty grossing films in two thousand and fourteen. Mm. That's like. It's one of them. Uh, Wait, I read in the speech that Victoria Alonso made at the Visual Effects Awards that it was 476 nominees in in that year and 43 of them were women. Which is also like a super sad number. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. It's a bit like uh, the, the very successful VFX supervisor, Lynn de, de Quattro, uh, was asked about the situation with women in the VFX business. And she answered that there are more than there used to be, but not as many as there should be. Yeah. <laughs> a- I've, I've freelanced around, so I've been in a couple of places. A lot of the time, it feels like I'm the only female artist there. <laughs> and you stand with a group and you just look around like, okay, <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's all you and me, yeah. uh, but there are uh, there's always a cup a handful of women with me, and usually it seems like the ratio is one in ten, so like yeah, one I think woman. That's to a common 10. ratio. Yeah, yeah. I think it's also depending on who you count in that number. If you count only artists, or if you count uh, producers and administrative stuff. Uh, I was because, only counting artists. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, and I think that's up. the yeah. Um, and that's a good thing, but it's still not any. It's not enough women in the like t- creative parts of the. Is it also a, a possible explanation that men hire men? So I that- think that's absolutely true in in some cases. Uh, I think there's a lot of those the boys men club that yeah that wants to hire men. What I find uh, is that. Um, I get hired a lot on um, personal recommendations. Yeah. Yeah. So I think for a recruiter, it's very difficult to trust any artist, male or female, coming in that they can, that they are going to be there. That the company is going to spend all of that money yeah. on investing in this artist, uh, any artist, and that they actually are what they're selling. So it's very tough on the recruiter. But what I find is that. Um, uh, I've, I've, I'll give you an example. Like I went to this one company and I had a coworker who said, um, I, know, I was talking to my girlfriend about you. And I said, oh, we have this great, uh, this, this female animator and who's actually really good. And his girlfriend said, well, why do you say, say it's so surprised? Uh, well, uh, usually uh, when we get female, uh, female artists in, uh, it's, they're not that good. It's to meet a quota. So there is this stigma out there yeah. that um, we're fighting a preconceived notion. No person hiring is a is a bad person, and if they knew what you would contribute to the team, they would never look look at you as less for your value. So you're really just you're fighting a stereotype that exists. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Absolutely. 
It's a constant struggle. Yeah. I'm stopping before I make a complete imbecile of myself. No, that was wonderful. I love being reduced to a cultural stereotype. Right. <laughs> but it's also it's also fun. I think it's like I don't have uh, an everyday problem that I'm a woman in this business. No. I think it's actually also empowering in a way that you're fighting for something or like you're you're moving something forward and mm. you're part of like the women that that actually is in this business and and I think that's something I think you need to look at it in a positive way yeah. as well and like okay this is just the beginning and now we're here and we're doing something and this could maybe be a start of something new or I just think it's easier to look that way you have to uh, look like yeah I think so too yeah yeah uh, and you mentioned the laws uh, about how much you work but but there's also initiatives from companies to like uh, help employees regarding for example harassment sexual harassment and stuff like that that has to be a problem as well i guess uh, in this business and that's um when companies uh, give out documentation um for example goodbye kansas gave out um documentation on on defining what all these these situations might be and what backlash is and what their expectation is of mm. how you should how you should treat each other in the office. Um, that's great for two reasons, I'd say. One is that um, they're acknowledging that it could happen at all and acknowledging the problem is yeah. is giving it life and, and yeah. saying, we know this exists, we we believe you. <laughs> <laughs> And, and that's a huge step on like that's a step forward. It's a big step forward, <laughs> yeah. And and then it's also to say, um, and here is what you can do to exactly. about it and how yeah. you can improve yeah. the environment. So if any of you out there is a female artist and have had some not so good experiences, talk to your boss yeah. about it and i just want to yeah. say that as well like i've been in that situation once yeah. where i've actually been harassed at work and i talked to my boss about it and he immediately talked to the guy and he was never welcome ever again at our company and that was like that was a thing that made me like believe in this again like yeah. okay i can do something and i can talk about it i'm not gonna end up in trouble mm. the other the guy is gonna end up in trouble and not me uh no matter what kind of uh level i'm on in the company or like what mm. i do and uh, uh so that's also like a good thing to remember that it can actually be done in the correct way as yeah. well you don't have to feel like you're uh you don't want to say anything because you don't want to cause trouble or whatever it's already the the guy that caused the trouble yeah. it's like it's on him it's not on you and it's it's wonderful to have advocates male and female that uh, really work towards solving the problem um, mm, yeah. and companies because um king had an initiative to um uh, to have a safe place for women to game uh, so they held a conference in um in barcelona and the goal was was great it was to to make women feel included mm. um, but I guess because it was um, a women only event it got, it received some backlash online where 
some men were saying they wanted to dress as women and come to disrupt the event. Um, and so then King responsibly had to cancel the event. And But everybody said we're now committed more than ever to mm-hmm. making sure that that women are left to not be disrupted. Mm. Um, <laughs> can never get it right, can you? <laughs> it's like trying to. <laughs> But like, we no. try. Yeah. And we need to feel positive <laughs> about it. At least you try, it. yeah. Because if a machine, a Terminator, can learn the value of human life, maybe we can too. Matilda, you mentioned that you had some not-so-nice experiences from, from other businesses like finance and stuff. <laughs> And and you also said to me that, that in this business in VFX, uh, people are kinder. Yeah, that's actually uh, one feeling I have when like when I started here. It's like, oh wow, people are so kind. <laughs> it's like so nice, and I think uh, that is like uh, a thing as well that um, at least I've felt, and I don't know if it's this way. Uh, everywhere it's probably not but i feel quite lucky that i've experienced mostly nice people in this business because and nerds then, are nice i know they? they are <laughs> i know it's something about people who are truly passionate at the what they do mm. it's nicer in general i think that's like uh you care about what you do and that's your biggest passion in life Uh, a lot of people who are often discriminating mm. others are not that happy with themselves or in their life or anything else. I think. I, um, I agree. I agree with. Do you what know you're where saying. I'm going with this? <laughs> yeah, because I, I think it's like I was saying before. It's not really about the individual. It's like you're fighting a, a stereotype. So when it is an individual, it's probably coming from a place of insecurity, mm. because I find that the most confident. Um, artists just they just focus on the job they don't see you that yeah. way the, because it, it, so it's something else in with yeah. those people mm. and in their lives and and I and I can say uh, besides that I mean sometimes it's um, fighting the norms that that you kind of come up with so when the worst of what, what or the normal sexism that gets experienced I, I mean It's pretty bad when it's sexual harassment. That's mm. maybe fewer and far between. Yeah. But the the normalized one is uh, a little bit more about trust, yeah. like um, having to maybe repeat yourself more often or getting back kind of um, dismissive language, like "Does that really matter?" or "You're overcomplicating it," kind of things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and that's also like. That's when we have to... There's two problems in this, basically. It's the individuals that you were talking about as well. And then there's, like, the stereotype, like, the the idea of what you should be, like, Mm. what a woman should be Mm. and what a woman should do, basically. And that's, like, we need to fight that idea of what it is. And I, I, like, I get that a lot as well. Like, I'm I'm too girly to be in this business. Just because I wear high heels, I can't like like Marvel or whatever. <laughs> I can't let you do this. What I do is not up to you. And I get that a lot. And it's like you you don't really take they don't take you seriously just because you're very feminine in a way. 
And then uh, and it gets pretty complicated as well. It's like, where do you want me to be? Do you want mm. me to be more like a guy? And that's not even, that's not a good thing either. Like, why should I be more like a guy to be accepted? Or So it's just that whole thing as well, which is super complicated, but that's also an issue. Mm. And I mean, sometimes it's like uh, you, you're speaking... Uh, you're speaking too much or now you're speaking too little or you should say that more assertively and more uh, succinctly or like, oh, no, you shouldn't be so short. And there's so much back and <laughs> forth on like how how you're supposed to. I think this is much more of a common modern uh, issue than, than the sexual harassment. Yeah. Possibly, I don't know. Uh, no. it's maybe someone else like would say something totally different, yeah. but but it's the it, it's the one that is subtle that is worse yeah. than the one that you can witness. Yeah, it's very the one that are very obvious and very on point. You can actually do something about. Mm. But when it's this fine line between. Mm. Like, okay, what did he mean when he said that? He Maybe he doesn't mean anything or am I interpreting it wrong or is this just something? That That's the hardest part when you're like, okay, I don't know what he meant or she for that matter. Um, and I think that's hard to define what the, the issue is there. But to summarize, one might say that <laughs> yeah. we still have a long way to go, yes. don't we? But I think we're moving forward. Yes, it seems we are moving in the right direction, at least. So let's keep working to achieve total gender equality in this great business. Okay, then, listen. Let's not get caught. What are you talking about? Let's keep going. What do you mean? Many thanks for coming and sharing your thoughts. Thank you. And you out there, thanks for listening. As usual, you can see clips from the films we talked about at our webpage, goodbyekansasstudios.com. And there you'll also find some links to some articles about this topic, some of the things we talked about. And if you who listen is a woman and thinking about starting to work with VFX or animation, just do it. There's plenty of good schools and this business needs more women. We need you. So go for it. Do it. Next week, it's gaming time here at Yellow Brick Road. We'll talk about mutant ducks in games and dive into the world of Mutant Year Zero, the classic role-playing board game now being developed into a video game. Until next time, goodbye. A bientôt. Auf Wiedersehen. Wie hoch.